Welcome to Plowing Through Brexit, Farmers Guardian's Brexit podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Farmers Guardian Plowing Through Brexit podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Abby Kay. This month, we're going to take a closer look at the agricultural transition period in England. We all know farmers are going to have to start having their direct payments cut from next year. But beyond that, government has provided very little detail on how it plans to move farmers onto the new environmental land management scheme. So what are the big risks over the coming years and how can they be mitigated? Here to help answer these big questions is Susan Twining, Chief Land Use Policy Advisor at the CLA. Welcome to the podcast, Susan. Hello. And our second guest is a second Sue, Sue Pritchard, Chief Executive at the Food, Farming and Countryside Commission. I think we're going to have to stick to Susan and Sue to stop any confusion. But thank you for joining us, Sue. Thank you for having me, Will and Abby. You're welcome. I suppose the natural place to start on this topic is to ask you both whether we are where we need to be with the new environmental land management scheme in order to start the transition next year. I'm thinking here about whether the tests and trials are progressing quickly enough and also whether farmers have enough knowledge about how the new scheme will work and crucially what they'll get paid in future. Susan do you want to kick us off on that? Yeah sure thank you. Um, Well I think the important date that we need to think about is 2024. That's when the new environmental land management scheme will be fully available and that's four years away so that should be enough time to develop the scheme provided it is given the right resources in DEFRA. It has already been in development for 18 months so the DEFRA ELM team is making good progress with developing the scheme and the ELM test and trial program is well underway Um, and there's also been planning for the start of the national pilots later next year. So it seems to be on track. Clearly, coronavirus has had an impact on DEFRA resources and their plans to consult the industry. So that has been delayed and it has delayed some of the ELMS tests and trials that's relied on um, meetings. Um, I'm pleased to say that the CLA tests and trials have not been affected. We got ours done before lockdown happened. Um, But I think the the bigger issue, uh, which we'll probably cover later, is that um, there's a much a closer issue for transition and that is the programs that are going to be available at the start of transition so that four-year period and the run-up to elm we really need to be thinking about what's going to be available then and what about you sue what are your thoughts uh well i'm i suspect i'm not quite as optimistic as susan at the moment i think that there are lots of people are putting in an enormous amount of effort to make um, the tests and trials work. But if they're really to be effective tests and trials, then people do need the right time and the right conditions to properly trial and properly learn from those trials and, you know, and adapt that knowledge to something that's workable and practical. And at the moment, um, that what I'm hearing from practitioners around the country is that things are going much more slowly than they'd hoped. And there are still many, many issues that need time to work through. So I think farmers are actually very anxious. They're anxious about um, the, the pace of change, whether they'll have the right resources available to them to help them embrace that change, and whether the sorts of proposals that are coming through will actually bring about the changes that we all know are necessary. Mm, okay. Uh, a question for both of you. Do we actually know when farmers can expect to get more detail on what they will be paid for and how much they will be paid 
under the new ELM scheme. I mean, I, I, I personally would quite like a definition uh, of what counts as a public good at this point. But um, Sue, perhaps you'd like to go first. Oh, I, I don't, actually. Maybe Susan's got more um, recent detail. I've been asking that, that question and yeah. um, arguing for... Um, for uh, some relaxation in in the pace of change and some more clarity, but I've not got anything yet. Have, have you, Susan? No, um, I think the the only guide that we've got is the from the Elm discussion document that was published in February, mm. and that gave some indication of what would be paid for in each of the the three tiers. But there was no specifics. Um, mm. I think. I mean, what I would say is that Elm Elm is going to be more than a a supersized countryside stewardship, but the core of Elm will still be about biodiversity. So looking at current countryside stewardship will give an indication of the types of things that might be included. So for those who've never been involved in countryside stewardship, it's a good place to start. Mm. I think when it comes to payment rates, um, which was the second part of the question, that is more difficult and possibly more important. Um, There I mean, there has been recognition that payment rates need to be uh, higher than current countryside stewardship and sufficiently attractive to encourage participation. Um, but there's been no uh, no further details on that. Uh, we might we might start to get an indication of payment rates from the pilots when they start next year, but that's towards the end of 2021, which is some time away. Um, so yeah, there's a certainly a lack of clarity in that area. Mm, okay. What about the phase out of direct payments? So we know how they're going to be cut next year, but we don't have any information beyond that. Do you think it's fair to expect farmers to head into this new era without actually being able to plan ahead? Sue, do you do you want to kick us off? I think that's a really, really good question. And, and the, the impact of uh, coronavirus really does need to be um, factored into those sorts of considerations. Uh, we, we know, I think, that government wants to press ahead and be seen to be pressing ahead with the changes that are needed. And, and I have some sympathy for that. I think clarity is what we all need as farmers. You know, for, for many of us, our planning cycles are, you know, two, three, five years in terms of making the investments we need to to help those changes. Mm. But, um, but you know, having some clarity in the context of what is now a really, really complex and challenging global situation. Um, It's just absolutely critical now. And you, Susan, I know the CLA, they've set out some plans, haven't they, for how you think direct payment should be cut? Yeah, that's right. We've done done some modelling work looking at the impacts, and it was pretty clear... um, from the beginning that, well, particularly when the, the first agriculture bill got delayed and then the general election, that um, the closer we got to the start of the planned transition, um, the more untenable it seemed to actually start cutting payments without that clarity of, of what, the, what the future cuts are going to be. So we, we've argued for a one-year delay in the start of transition uh, from direct payments, but we're also um, wanting to see some the, the clarity of the future payments. So we think that... Um, before before transition starts, every farmer should get a statement of their sole payment, remaining payments for the, for the whole of the transition period. And that would allow people the clarity. They might not like it, but at least it would be a, the clarity of what's going to happen with those payments. So I think that the clarity is something that our members come back with all the time. It's, it's almost more important than when transition starts is to have clarity about what the, what the changes are going to be. 
Mm, for sure. Uh, Sue, has the um, coronavirus pandemic left farmers facing the prospect of entering the transition period in a weaker position than they would have been ordinarily? I mean, we know that some farmers supplying the food service sector, particularly on the dairy side, have seen huge drops in income uh, and others have lost a lot of money on their agri-tourism diversifications. Will this make a big difference as they now head into several years of BPS cuts? Oh, inevitably, inevitably. And we haven't even felt the full impact of the global coronavirus mm-hmm. pandemic yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we know that some countries in the world are becoming more protectionist, particularly those countries who specialise in particular commodity crops. And we're starting to see the emergence of price spikes, but it's not just the coronavirus epidemic. We, we, we literally have the plagues of locusts impacting crops in India yeah. and in Eastern Africa which will impact the prices of those staples too. So we, the, the global crisis that we're facing it includes coronavirus, includes climate change and the nature crisis. We haven't even begun to mention the, the Brexit negotiations. The, 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 the whole range and complexity of, um, of the instability that farmers are facing at the moment is almost overwhelming and of course it's not just farmers you, you asked me there about agritourism diversification and those farmers who have taken government advice in the past and diversified their businesses have now been hit really hard mm-hmm. through lockdown so those businesses are already um having um you know, facing a real crisis and, and that affects the whole of the rural community in which those businesses operate. When farmers' payments are cut back, that is money out of that whole community. Typically, farmers are more likely to spend their income in their localities and in their communities. So when the money comes from farmers, it comes from that whole community at a time now when communities, rural communities particularly, are struggling from the impacts of lockdown. So it creates all of the ingredients for a, a dramatic and perfect storm for farmers and rural communities right now. Mm. Susan, I think you touched on DEFRA's capacity earlier in relation to the environmental land management scheme. What about DEFRA's capacity to properly manage the Brexit transition period because of the coronavirus? We know staff have been moved on to work on the pandemic, which is completely understandable. But is the department able to give transition issues the attention they need? That's a, that's a very good question. I mean, managing transition is all about the planning and the decisions that are taken now. And we have we have now had several months which were actually crucial in part of that planning, where there the, the focus, quite rightly, had to be on on the coronavirus um, uh, response. Um, but what that's done, you know, there's, there's so many questions still outstanding about what is the right profile of cuts in direct payment. What what are the impacts of those early year cuts? What will farmers will farmers be in a position to make use of the planned productivity grant? Are the planned productivity grants actually going to be ready in time? How can countryside stewardship be made more attractive? And how will people move from countryside stewardship into elms? So there's an awful lot of decisions that have to be made that in in how to operate that transition, and that's before you get into IT systems and all the rest of it. So um, 
coronavirus has certainly had an impact directly on those on on the capacity to to make decisions in the last few months. You know, we are seeing that the, the teams are back in back in place now, broadly speaking, um, and we are hopeful that uh, now the immediate response phase has passed, there will be a greater focus on the future and. And that has to be about these details about how this is going to operate and particularly these what's going to happen next year, because next year is getting very close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we know that the farming industry has been completely united in asking for a 12 month delay to the start of the transition period. Why do you think it is that DEFRA has been so reluctant to agree to this? Is it is it a possibility that the Treasury could be pulling the strings because the money from the BPS cuts is to be ploughed back into the ELM and they'd have to find that cash elsewhere if there was a delay. Uh, Sue, do you want to answer that first? Well, you know, we, we, we might have said yes to that just a few months ago, mm. but the Treasury rule book has been ripped up and thrown into four winds in the last three months. Yeah. So it's quite, it's quite clear that, that Treasury will direct resources to the places that are important to it. Uh, so I, we, we we should not be forgetting that um, in a hurry. I think actually I think actually the answer is more political than financial, um, and and in part it does respond to uh, what we were talking about earlier. People's need for clarity and certainty and a sense of direction. So I think it is really important to this government to be seen to be getting things done, and uh, you know, the, the the credentials around the cabinet table. Uh, come come with those who are you know seem to be acting and acting decisively. <laughs> so I think this this particular um, uh, you know, question that we have is probably caught in that political you know that kind of political dynamic. Yeah. Where I think where I think there is perhaps room for manoeuvre is 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 the argument for a really clear route map um, or um, a plan. So we know that the Ag Bill provides a framework and actually the detail is very lightly worked through. Susan's described really well um, where those details are starting to come from. Nonetheless, it is a framework bill. What's really, really important now is a clear route map for farmers and the whole industry and indeed rural communities are affected by this to see what's going to happen by when the milestones and start to plan accordingly. Hmm. Okay, and what do you think about that, Susan? I would agree with, with with what Sue's saying. I think there is a, a feeling that the industry has been on notice of these changes for some time since the first agriculture bill came out, um, and that there is no reason for delay because it's been well signposted. But um, you know, on the on the ground, we know that's not true because there's been so much uncertainty about whether it would change, whether we were going to exit the EU, whether we were going to have a no deal, whether we we're going to have a general, you know, what the outcome of the general election would be, and what that would be. So. So really, there, there there hasn't been any clarity to the industry at all. Mm. Um, but I, so it, yeah, as Sue says, it's mainly political. I mean, interestingly enough, we agree that there shouldn't that we need to get on with transition. You know, we need to be moving to the the, the new the new policy outside CAP. But that needs to be done in a way that in the, that enables the industry to adapt and change. And I think by having severe cuts in this early period, and particularly with COVID, um, that. It, that we, you know, it needs to have more time. So we need to delay the cuts in the direct payments um, by one year and have shallower cuts in these early stages. Uh, I think DEF is also putting a lot of faith in some of the productivity improvements that the industry will be driven to, um, in their words. 
well, maybe not their words exactly, but we know that there is a productivity <laughs> lag time. We know that there's a productivity lag time between farming businesses starting to review their business, looking at options, agreeing a plan mm. and making changes and then the benefit mm. showing profit. So even if even if we have um, you know lots of uh, investment in this sector in, in these early years to uh, help help drive productivity, it's going to be some years before that comes through to fruition. Mm. What are the biggest risks for farmers then as we move into the transition period? Sue? Well, you know, I think I think it kind of depends um, what kind of farming you're doing and where you're doing it. And you know, as we know, farming is a really um, it's a really diverse community. And to, to try to kind of give uh, you know a simple answer that somehow applies to all farmers is really missing the detail and the nuance of this. So. You know, but, 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 I think, but I think perhaps thinking in general terms, there are probably big risks around farmers' capacity and farmers' capabilities. Farmers' capacity to be able to devote the, the attention that's needed to you know, making big strategic decisions about the future of their business, what they're going to focus on, how they're going to pivot, uh, whether they even have the appetite for that. And it brings in you know, really quite personal questions to farming uh, succession within families, and then and then the capability aspect. I think you know, that not not all farmers um, have access to uh, the kind of advice that they need. Not all farmers um, find it easy to get their heads around some of these, you know, really quite complex questions. We know that you know farmers, some farmers, very often just turn away from these really really difficult questions and you know move into a state of denial, which can, frankly, can be very helpful because by the time you've looked up again, things have moved on. But um, when, when the, the, the pace of change is so, um, so serious and, and so relentless, you know, that, that, um, that capacity to be able to face into it uh, is going to be really, really important and farmers will need the right kind of support that's really uh, bespoke to their needs to help them face it. You know, we know that farmers are facing, you know, all sorts of mental health crises at the moment. You know, this, this isn't this isn't just the kind of technical yeah. um, business stuff. This is this is incredibly personal. You know, farmers are not just what we do; it's what who we are. And you know, for farmers who are having to rethink who they are and what they do, it, it's it's a deeply personal crisis. And so. You know, it's more than just you know shifting the sector or shifting the business. It's kind of rethinking everything about you know your place on you know your home, your family, your aspirations for your family, your place in your community. So these are really, really deep-rooted questions that need a lot of support around them. Mm. Where do we where do we stand on advice at the moment? We we know farmers are going to need it to transition to this new way of doing things. Is the government going to fund that, Susan? <laughs> um. I think the answer is possibly. I think the, there is a role for government advice um, and, gov and government providing funding for advice. So they might not just be providing it themselves, but providing funding for advice. Yeah. And I definitely think there's a role for government to provide funding um, during the transition period, particularly for whole farm planning and to develop skills. So some of these issues that Sue raised um, in the last question um, helping people to make these difficult decisions and think about the difficult decisions, you know, about facilitating that change um, that, that many businesses will need to need to face. Um, 
I, I think beyond that, as I start to get very complicated, I think when we're looking um, at the new the new agricultural policy, there's going to be some pretty fundamental changes. Uh, so many businesses will need that whole farm planning type advice. But then when it comes to ELM, um, there's a, there'll be a different type of advice. Uh, and it's interesting with, with ELM, it seems that the, the government is keen to allow the private sector advice to develop and the government role will be more about specialist advice and guidance and perhaps accreditation for the private sector. So I think there could be different forms of advice forms of advice for different purposes. But I think in particularly in this early stage of transition, that that's incentivizing people who would maybe not naturally take advice or feel or in struggling businesses where they feel they can't afford advice. Uh-huh. I think there is a um, a real role for government to help fund that and to help people to get onto the the, the chain the, that, that pattern of changing and thinking about the business and the future of their business. Uh-huh. Super interesting discussion, guys, but I'm very sorry to say we're going to have to leave it there for today. Thank you to both Susan and Sue for joining us. It's been great to have two really knowledgeable ladies on the pod. I think this might be the first time you've been outnumbered. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm outnumbered on a daily basis, Abby, you know that. <laughs> and uh, to everyone listening, thank you. And keep your eyes peeled for the next Farmer's Guardian Plowing Three Brugsit podcast, which will be out next month.